Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Coming to you live from New York, I'm Jane Asher. This is First Move, and here is your need to know. Impeachment underway as President Biden admits the Senate is unlikely to convict Donald Trump. Trading jabs, the EU hits out at vaccine makers over supply delays and checking in the UK to announce tough new rules on travel, including quarantine hotels. It is Tuesday. Let's make a move. Welcome to First Move. So good to have you with us. Let's get uh, a lot to get through rather in the next hour or so. Let's begin with a look at the markets. Let's take a look here. Futures are pointing to a mostly flat, uh, slightly higher open on Wall Street after an extremely volatile day of trade on Monday. Tech stocks are little change as investors await earnings from Microsoft after the closing bell. Tesla, Facebook and Apple report later on this week. Apple, by the way, hit Fresh record highs on Monday. Investors have rotated into Apple and other big big tech names once again amid concerns that global economies will stay weaker for longer because of slow vaccine rollouts and new COVID variants. The company that has taken one of the wildest rides this past week has been video game retailer GameStop. Uh, Its shares are up some 15% pre-market and up more than 300% so far this month amid a battle royale between bullish day traders and short sellers worried about the company's long-term prospects and their fundamentals as well. Some people are really saying that GameStop's rally is an example of speculative excess now gripping certain parts of the market. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later on the show. Elsewhere, Asian stocks fell with Hong Kong shares pulling back sharply from 21-month highs. Markets are higher in Europe. Swiss banking giant UBS is reporting a more than 130% jump in fourth quarter profits. Italian shares are higher even as the country's prime minister hands in his resignation. Let's get right to our drivers. And the latest on Europe's pandemic crisis, tensions in Europe are mounting over the slow rollout of COVID-19 vaccines. Drug maker AstraZeneca and Pfizer are under fire from the European Union. Both companies have said there will be delivery delays because of production issues. I want to bring in my colleague and friend, Cyril Varnier, to walk us through this. So, um, Cyril, what's, what's at stake for Europe here? You've got AstraZeneca, you've got Pfizer talking about vaccine and and vaccine delays. Um, What's at stake in terms of lives, in terms of health, in terms of hospitalizations, in terms of the broader economy? Yeah, Zane, that is a great way to frame it. Well, look, the 27 member states of the European Union know that right now they are engaged in a race, right? It is a race between the virus on the one hand, and we know that is on the increase in many parts of Europe, especially with this new variant originally identified in the UK, which is now more and more present in many European countries. So it's a race between the virus and the vaccine. 
And sadly, the vaccine rollout in too many European countries has been unsatisfying. It has been slow. They have two vaccines that they can use, Pfizer and Moderna. But they really thought that AstraZeneca, if and when it gets approved, and that is expected to happen, approval by the European Medicines Agency is expected to happen at the end of the week. Well, member states thought that that would be, if not a silver bullet, certainly a shot in the arm for their vaccination program, because this is the easiest vaccine to roll out. This is the one that can be kept in a simple fridge. So the longer those vaccines are delayed, the more people are likely to get the virus, end up in hospital and die from it. And that is where the rubber meets the road. On Friday, AstraZeneca announced it was a surprise announcement that it was going to be delivering to the EU far fewer doses of this vaccine than were originally planned. And the European Union, to put it succinctly, is just furious. Um, I want you to listen to the head of the EU's executive branch, Ursula von der Leyen. Europe invested billions to help develop the world's first COVID-19 vaccines. To create a truly global common good. And now the companies must deliver. They must honor their obligations. So look, from a health standpoint, the European member states need this. From a business standpoint, they feel they are entitled to what the German health minister called Europe's fair share of COVID doses, right? Because it's true that they did put billions of euros on the table to help AstraZeneca uh, develop its production facilities, even as it was as the drug maker was conducted clinical trials. That was the whole idea. You do the research into the vaccine on the one hand, and at the same time, you use the money from those pre-orders to develop your production facilities so that if and when your vaccine actually exists and is approved and gets authorization, you can start rolling out the doses and sending them out to the people who need them immediately. And that, unfortunately, Zane, is not happening, or at least not in the proportions that the EU had been promised. So just in terms of specifics, then, what is AstraZeneca and what is Pfizer saying about some of the major logistical challenges in terms of producing a vaccine at this scale and distributing it uh, across Europe? Right. So slightly different uh, explanations from uh, the, the two drug makers, right? So Pfizer, what they did is they announced a couple weeks ago that there was going to be a momentary dip in the number of vaccines they could deliver. Why? Because they were ramping up production at their Belgian facility where all the vaccine doses are being made and, and shipped out from. So they have now finished essentially gearing up their production facility, and they should now be able to make up the shortfall that we've seen over the last two weeks. That is yet to be determined, yet to be seen. But the EU today said, look, by the end of the week, we think that Pfizer will be honoring its commitments. AstraZeneca, they have not apparently given a satisfying answer to European officials as to why they're not going to be delivering as many doses as they said. They have only said, this AstraZeneca, the drug maker, has only said um, this is due to a uh, problem in our European supply chain. The EU, which was on a call with the CEO of AstraZeneca on Monday, has said it has not got a sufficient explanation. There is a lack of clarity on why they are not going to get the doses they thought they would get and that they have paid for, Zane. All right, Cyril Vanier, my first there. Thank you so much. Britain is expected to make an announcement today on quarantining incoming passengers from certain countries in hotels. It comes as the death toll there 
edges towards 100,000. Anna Stewart's life for us at Heathrow Airport. So Anna, listen, this is a major, major step. Um, I understand that the UK government is still hammering out details, but what do we know so far in terms of at least what countries, what countries specifically these new quarantine rules will apply to? Yes, Ian, you're right. We're told the government is actually still working on this policy, but we do expect an announcement today. Prime Minister Boris Johnson is scheduled to do a press conference at 5 p.m. Now, the policy, a hotel quarantine, is designed to prevent uh, new variants of coronavirus from entering the UK, potentially jeopardising the rollout of the vaccine. We believe there are two options currently being discussed. The first would be a hotel quarantine, and this is paid for by the travellers themselves, but that would be just for those travelling into the UK from high-risk countries, so South Africa, Brazil, Portugal. The second option would be a blanket hotel quarantine for all those arriving into the UK, although there is expected to be an exception for hauliers. Thousands of hauliers arrive into the UK every single day, transporting goods, including food and medicine and uh, equipment for factories and so on. And this is why this policy, which we've seen very successfully introduced in Australia and New Zealand, would be much harder to implement here in the UK. And not least when you consider how many travellers arrive every single day, not in the hundreds like Australia and New Zealand, but between 8,000 and 10,000 a day. Zane? And so I'm sure the aviation industry is extremely nervous. This is a nightmare for them economically. What have, what have airlines been saying, Anna? Well, yes, the Airlines UK, the trade body here, have said that further measures would be catastrophic. Financial support package from the government is needed, they say. Now, we knew that the beginning of the year was going to be absolutely dire for this industry, given the second wave of coronavirus, but there were hopes of some sort of recovery in the summer. That now seems incredibly unlikely. If you consider quarantining in a hotel, the risk that you might have to quarantine in a hotel in the UK for two weeks is not an attractive prospect. It's highly expensive, and this comes on top of new measures such as having to book a coronavirus test before you arrive into the UK. So really quite dire. The only segment really that could benefit from the policy being announced today, of course, would be the airport hotels. But that is a very, very small sliver, uh, silver lining really uh, to this policy. Zane. Anna Stewart, live for us there. Thank you so much. In Washington, senators are set to be sworn in as jurors after House managers delivered the article of impeachment against former President Donald Trump to the Senate. This is the only, this is only the fourth impeachment trial of a U.S. president in history. Lauren Fox has more. A historic march through the halls of the U.S. Capitol. <laughs> Nearly three weeks after a deadly insurrection took place within its walls. Nine House impeachment managers delivering a single article of impeachment to the Senate Monday night, formally beginning the second impeachment trial against former President Donald Trump. Donald John Trump, President of the United States, is impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors. Ten House Republicans joined House Democrats last week to charge Trump with incitement of insurrection saying he encouraged a violent mob to storm the U.S. Capitol January 6th in an effort to overturn the election results. We fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. The House also pointing to Trump's phone call with Georgia's Secretary of State earlier this month, asking him to find votes to reverse Trump's loss. In all this, President Trump gravely endangered the security of the United States and its institutions of government. Senators will be sworn in as jurors later today, and a trial will begin the week of February 8th. The timeline allowing Trump's team to prepare, 
and space to confirm President Joe Biden's cabinet nominees. It's not going to be easy to manage all these things at once, uh, but it's absolutely imperative. Biden telling CNN he's doubtful there are enough Republicans willing to convict Trump, but he also believes the impeachment trial has to happen, despite the effect it could have on advancing his agenda. I believe we will put forward a very strong case that, of course, is already in the public view of what took place here. Even with the bipartisan passing of the article in the House, many Republicans oppose the trial against Trump. It seems very, very much uh, counterproductive if you're the Bi- President Biden to say we're going to take the precious f- first days of a new administration and we're going to squander it on this impeachment trial. The trial moving forward as the Justice Department's internal watchdog launched an investigation looking into whether any DOJ officials participated in attempts to overturn the outcome of the 2020 election. The probe, after news reports indicated Trump may have attempted to use the DOJ to challenge the election results in a plan that sources say included ousting acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen. Anyone that is trying to you know, approach this with a, you know, any kind of open-mindedness, it seems like the evidence keeps mounting. Lauren Fox reporting there. Meantime, President Biden is expected to sign a series of executive orders related to racial equity today. Jeremy Diamond is at the uh, White House live for us with details. So just when you think about just how much racial justice took center stage in this country last year, especially with... Um, the tragic death of of George Floyd specifically and countless other unarmed black men who have been shot and killed by police in this country. How is a President Biden, how is a Biden administration going to attempt to right some of those wrongs, Jeremy? Yeah, and Zane, even as that uh, those those killings, unjustified killings, took center stage over the last year, we had a president of the United States who was essentially ignoring that conversation. President Trump refused to engage in conversations about police reform uh, and about uh, racism uh, in the United States. So we are seeing President Biden now changing that tone, turning the page on that, and, and trying to focus in on some of these issues. Now, these steps are modest steps, to be clear, but they are the beginnings, uh, according to White House officials, uh, of what we are going to see from President Biden. Uh, He is going to be focusing on policing reform, prison reform, uh, and uh, also promoting equitable policies uh, in housing policy. Uh, On the police reform front, we are going to see the president today sign an executive order establishing a police uh, policing commission to essentially review policing practices across the country, recommend best practices, uh, and bring those recommendations forward. Uh, We are also going to see him reinstate uh, the ban on uh, uh, the transfer of military weapons uh, to uh, or military equipment to uh, police departments across the country. That was something that President Obama had instituted when he was president. President Trump revoked that order, and so now we are seeing that uh, come back into the fold. We are also going to see uh, executive action on prison reform, uh, taking steps to eliminate private prisons in the United States and improve conditions uh, in prisons uh, across the country. Uh, What's also important to note is that racial equity also factors into the president's plans as it relates to to the coronavirus. Uh, He he outlined uh, a national strategy last week 
week on uh, combating the coronavirus in the United States. And one of the seven goals focuses on racial equity, which we know is needed now that we have seen some of these new numbers in the United States on vaccine distribution. And there is a gap in terms of uh, a, a race in the United States uh, with white people uh, per capita receiving uh, more vaccines uh, than uh, people of color uh, here in this country. We are expected to hear from the president today. He's going to address uh, a uh, talk about racial equity as he signs these executive orders. And then we're also learning now uh, that he will address the coronavirus pandemic later in the day. Zane. All right, Jeremy Diamond, life for us there. Thank you so much. Right, these are the stories making headlines around the world. A tornado ripped through the U.S. state of Alabama before dawn Tuesday, killing at least one person and injuring dozens more. This is what is left of a hotel in a suburb of Birmingham. Everyone inside managed to get out, thank goodness, and find a shelter nearby. Protests in India turned violent as hundreds of thousands of farmers, some driving tractors, descended on the capital. Security forces used tear gas and flashbangs to try to stop protesters breaking through police barricades. Barricades. Farmers are demanding the government withdraw new laws they say could eliminate state support for agriculture. The protests took place on India's Republic Day, which is a national holiday. CNN's Vedika Sud has more. Right-like scenes erupted in India's national capital Tuesday after a peaceful rally in tractors and on foot by tens of thousands of farmers turned violent. These farmers were protesting against new agricultural reforms introduced by the Indian government last year. The protesters were granted permission by the police to carry out the rally away from central Delhi, where India's 72nd Republic Day parade was underway. Tensions escalated when protesters diverted from agreed-on routes, breaching barricades, which led to clashes between protesters and the police. Batoors and tear gas were used by police personnel, who were clearly outnumbered by the crowds of protesters. As a show of strength, farmer unions wanted to take out a rally coinciding with the Republic Day parade in New Delhi, while tanks paraded before Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi Tractors driven by protesters almost ran over police personnel. Despite multiple rounds of talks between farmer representatives and Indian government representatives, there has been no breakthrough yet. The Indian government did offer suspension of these new agricultural laws for a year and a half, but that peace offering was rejected by the farmers. Now, the police say their men have been injured in the violent clashes that took place Tuesday. Vidika Sood, CNN, New Delhi. Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte has formally resigned. A tactical move he hopes will allow him to form a new coalition. He's seeking a mandate from the president who will begin talks with the main political parties Wednesday afternoon. Mr. Conte will stay on in a caretaker capacity for now. All right, still to come here on First Move, the U.S. and China clashed over tech and trade under Trump. Don't expect that to change under President Biden. Right, welcome back to First Move, coming to you live from New York, where it's looking like a higher open for U.S. stocks. Solid earnings from General General Electric, excuse me, Johnson & Johnson and 3M are giving a boost uh, to the blue chips. The big market test comes later today when Microsoft kicks off earnings season for the big tech's concern about overvalued markets, speculative excess and the outlook for new U.S. stimulus remains front and center for investors President Biden saying that he is willing to consider sending stimulus checks only to the neediest of Americans if it would help secure a spending deal. 
Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is now warning that it could actually take until March, until March to actually pass uh, the new stimulus. Meantime, Janet Yellen is officially the Biden administration's highest ranking cheerleader for new spending. The full Senate confirming her appointment as Treasury Secretary late yesterday. Yellen is the first woman to hold the post. Brian Belsky joins us live now. He's the Managing Director and Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets. Brian, thank you so much for having having being on the show. So listen, when it comes to the markets, there's just so much speculative fever right now. You've got low interest rates. A lot of people are unsure where else to put their money. Um, you've also got so much liquidity. It is remarkable what is happening to stocks right now, especially when you consider where the economy is. It is, Julia. Thank you so much for having us. And, and I think the speculative side of things really is getting too much hype, uh, so to speak. Uh, Bitcoin and Tesla are not the stock market. Uh, the market is a market of stocks. And we have uh, several thousand uh, publicly traded companies uh, in the United States in particular. And we think the strength of that as an asset, meaning that group of stocks, continues to be the strongest in the world, Julia. And so, yes, from uh, a backdrop of zero to very low interest rates, not just for 2021, but for most of 2022 into 2023, we believe, in terms of our economic department saying that, uh, I think that's going to continue. So I think this notion of the market is a bubble right now. The more people that talk about a bubble, the more likelihood that we're not in a bubble. Yeah, because I was going to ask you that. I mean, the term, by the way, it's Zane, by the way. Julia's actually off today. I know you can't see me, so I just wanted to correct you quickly. Oh, I'm um, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no problem at all. So I, I've heard that term bubble being thrown around so much. I mean, would you say that those fears are generally overblown? What are your thoughts on that? Great question. Uh, yeah, I do believe that they're overblown, and it's really a machination of, of, of clearly a mania in some of these areas, and manias aren't, aren't, aren't stock market bubbles. It's, it's exa uh, very, very different than what happened uh, in 99-2000, where it was very concentrated with respect to what happened to tech, and tech from a sector basis is extremely different than it was from on a fundamental basis than it was 20-plus uh, years ago. In terms of what happened in 2007-2008, again, very credit dominated and very inflated with respect to a certain amount of stocks in the financials that really encumbered uh, the rest of the economy. So I think this is going to be a slow slogging economy for a while, uh, a better pickup in the second half of the year. But the stock market, we think, is actually better positioned for the first half of the year. It's kind of counterintuitive. I think the second half of the year could be bumpier for stocks, but the first half of the year much stronger. And what goes through your mind when you take a look at the wild swings at shares like uh, GameStop? For example, you're seeing uh, on online platforms such as Reddit, um, this massive sort of debates between day traders and short sellers, etc., that's fueling these wild swings. And of course, GameStop isn't the only stock that has this massive gap between fundamentals and the share price. What goes through your mind when you see what's happening to a stock like GameStop? Well, another great question, you know, uh, in terms of the returns that, that a stock like GameStop can have to the overall market, it's de minimis because it's smaller. Uh, and I think too much, is, too much has been made due to this uh, day traders. Now, again, 
We are going to have a correction at some point. We're of, of, the, of, the, of the opinion that we don't like to make correction type of calls because usually they're much more short term and we're investors. So we still think that we're in a big giant 20 year bull market. So buy the dips, we would say. Uh, but in terms of this, this notion of, of the near term momentum, we'd be a little bit careful. We would certainly not be chasing those type of momentum names and be much more diversified equally with respect to growth and value and across all sectors. And I just want to turn slightly to the intersection of uh, the economy and politics as well, because obviously the new president, Joe Biden, is pushing for this $1.9 trillion stimulus package. That is a huge amount of money. Um, a lot of Republicans are saying that's too much money, especially when you consider the deficit and the debt right now. How important is paying attention to the deficit at a time like this when so many Americans are in such dire straits? Uh, another great question. Uh, you know, we've been deficit spending in our country for 50 or 60 right. years. The, one of the greatest uh, percentage of net to GDP um, uh, increases was during the John F. Kennedy administration prior to the Vietnam War and NASA. So we've been kind of doing this for 60 years now. And on a zero interest rate environment uh, and trying to get things going, obviously the strength of the, the, the economy is the consumer. And 70% of the economy is the consumer. And the discretionary sector has been strong. So we have to continue, we think, to, to plot along with that. Think about lot, 10 years ago when really the only tool we were using was quantitative easing with the Fed. Now you've got, as you said in the beginning of this hit, you've got Ms. Yellen in, in, in charge of the Treasury with their very strong relationship with the Fed. So I think monetary and stimulus policies are going to be very aligned uh, um, and and uh, from, a, I'm sorry, monetary and fiscal policies are going to be exceedingly aligned the next few years. And I think that bodes very well for the stock market and even better for the economy. Yeah, the gauge and the calculus on deficit spending is very different when you have a low interest environment like this. Brian Belsky, live for us there. Thank you so much. Managing Director and Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets. You're watching First Move, the market open is next. All right, welcome back to First Move. Um, we just missed actually the opening bell on Wall Street just a minute or so ago. And as expected, we've got a higher open for stocks as investors brace for the start of tech earnings season. The Nasdaq hit fresh records on Monday, but the real test begins later on today when we've got Microsoft reporting its fourth quarter results. Global growth concerns remain front and center. For markets, the IMF now believes that the global economy will grow at 5.5% this year, a slightly higher rate uh, than previous forecasts predicted. But IMF economists say the growth path remains highly uncertain because of the new spread of new COVID-19 variants. They're warning countries not to pull economic support prematurely. The U.S. Federal Reserve releases its first policy outlook of the year tomorrow. A new variant of coronavirus that worries health officials has been found in the United States uh, for the first time. Officials in Minnesota say that they detected the variant in a traveler from Brazil. It's one of the variants being closely watched by the CDC. CNN senior medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen joins us live now. So, uh, Elizabeth, here in the United States, you've got a U.K. variant, you've got a Brazil variant, you've got a South African variant as well. Um, of those three in particular, what worries, which one, I should say, worries health officials more, especially when it comes to the possibility of vaccine resistance? 
So I will tell you, they all worry uh, health authorities in the UK in different ways. In the UK, in, in the US, rather, in the US so far, there have been hundreds of cases of the UK variant spotted. Only one of the variant from Brazil, and at this point, none from South of the variant that was originally spotted in South Africa. Although it is sort of presumed that it's out there in the US, it's just that no one has spotted it yet because surveillance in the US is not terribly good. So as far as evading the vaccines, could this variant evade the vaccine? I think that is very clear. There is a lot of concern about the variant that was first spotted in South Africa. Tests in the lab so far have basically shown, basically, that, you know what, it looks like the vaccine will work, but it may take a hit. It may not be quite as effective. It may not be 95% effective. This is work in labs. It is not work in people. We don't know exactly what it will do, but there is some real concern among public health officials that that is the case. And that's why Moderna is working on a booster aimed at the variant from South Africa because of that. So as far as vaccine evasion goes, the South African variant, I think, is top of mind. But as far as does this variant spread more quickly? Could it make you more sick? Uh, I think there's concern about all of these variants, that that could be the case. Zane? And pivoting slightly, Elizabeth, Regeneron is actually coming out with news saying that its antibody therapy may prevent COVID-19. What more can you tell us about that? Right. So this Regeneron antibody ther uh, therapy has been studied to treat people who are sick. And now they've studied it and they're announcing results as prevention. They call it a passive vaccine. So they took 400 people who were living with someone who had COVID. So in other words, these 400 people were at high risk for getting COVID. Half of them got a placebo, which is a shot of saline that does nothing. And half of them got the antibody therapy. And when the ones who got the placebo, uh, the, of the ones who got the placebo, eight of them became active ill with COVID, the ones who got the Regeneron therapy, none of them became actively ill. Some of them became infected, which is a different. Some of them did become infected, but they did not become actively ill. And really, that's what they're aiming to prevent is someone from becoming sick, ending up in the hospital, God forbid, ending up dying. An interesting point to make here is that this is an injected therapy. So you're, you're not just swallowing a pill. It's a little bit more complicated to give something that's injected. But still, these are promising results being announced by Regeneron. All right, Elizabeth Cohen, live for us there. Thank you so much. President Biden has been in the job less than a week, and he's already making his mark on climate and energy. In a stark departure from President Trump, the U.S. is returning to the Paris Climate Accord and cancelled the controversial Keystone XL pipeline across the border to Canada. He's also ordered a moratorium on Arctic oil and gas drilling as well. Uh, Mark Somers is president and CEO of the American Petroleum Institute, a trade body which represents all aspects of America's oil and natural gas industry. Mike, thank you so much for being with us. So given the Biden administration's heavy focus on climate change, which is something that you know, President Biden campaigned heavily on, what is next for the oil and gas industry over the next four years, do you think? Well, look, Zane, we're very concerned about some of these policies. The Keystone policy alone cut 10,000 union jobs uh, that would have been had as a consequence of the building of that pipeline. Uh, and that's with trading uh, with one of our best allies, uh, the country of Canada. This is a pipeline that would have supplied many, many jobs for Americans and Canadians alike. It had been passed by almost every environmental review that it had gone through and approved by the government of Canada. Uh, so we're very concerned about that policy and what it means for America's energy independence going forward.
And the thing with the Keystone's pipeline specifically is that it is so controversial. Obviously, people in your industry are saying that, listen, this is the safest way to transport energy. There's so many jobs at stake. Um, but a lot of climate activists are saying this is a massive, massive mistake for the environment. President Biden is in a really difficult spot, I think, in terms of preserving energy independence, in terms of maintaining jobs in the oil and gas industry, but also delivering on his promises, especially promises uh, that he campaigned on, to be much more generous when it comes to protecting and preserving our environment. Well, these two things shouldn't be mutually exclusive. The United States can be energy independent while at the same time protecting our environment. As you said, the Keystone Pipeline would have been the most uh, the safest way to transport these energy products from Canada. They're still going to come. They're likely going to come on, on rail. Uh, we believe that pipelines, and it's been proven that pipelines are the safest way to preserve our environment and to uh, transport these products. But in addition to that, the United States leads the world right now in cutting emissions. And that's mainly because of the fuel switch that has gone on from coal being the number one uh, place where we've gotten our energy to the use of natural gas. That's cut our emissions dramatically because mm -hmm. natural gas is actually 50% more clean than coal. So we're focused on making sure that our environment stays clean and that we continue, can continue to improve our performance in this regard. But these kinds of new proposals that are coming from the Biden administration are actually limiting American energy independence and they're not doing anything to preserve the environment. And another sort of major problem for you in terms of one of President Biden's priorities is, of course, the 60-day moratorium he's issued uh, in terms of issuing permits on federal lands. How much does your industry really rely on federal lands? Just walk us through, through that angle of it. Yeah, so about 22% of America's uh, oil today comes from uh, access to federal lands and waters. This isn't just an issue of federal lands. It's also what is produced primarily in the Gulf of Mexico as well. So about 22% of America's oil and about 14% of America's natural gas. So we're very concerned about this proposal as well because it's going to have the effect of cutting off a significant supply of America's oil and making us more dependent on foreign sources of oil. We're still gonna use these products. The question is whether we're gonna get them from the United States and use our resources, or whether we're gonna import them from regimes that are hostile to the United States. So we've been calling this proposal an import more oil policy because the world's gonna to continue to demand these products and we think we should get them from the United States of America. All right, Mike Summers. Live for us there. Thank you so much. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Zane. This is First Move. Coming up, tech tussles. Beijing and Washington fight for technology supremacy. That story next. Under the Trump administration, China and the U.S. got into a grueling trade war with Washington places, placing a slew of sanctions on Chinese tech companies. But while the president, uh, the current president, is reversing many of his predecessor's policies, the stance on China is unlikely to change. Selena Wang joins us live now. So, Selena, what are some of the differences between President Trump's rhetoric on China and Biden's? Are there any differences at all? Well, Zane, certainly Washington's bipartisan consensus to be tough on China is not going to change, as you say. 
but he is expected to take a more moderate and diplomatic approach to China than Trump. But fundamentally, the strategic rivalry between the U.S. and China is here to stay. The Biden administration has made it clear that China has grown more authoritarian at home, it's grown more assertive abroad, and that Beijing is fundamentally challenging America's national security and values. So Biden is expected to keep up the pressure on China when it comes to trade, technology, human rights, Hong Kong, as well as Taiwan. And if you take a listen to the statements from Secretary of State nominee Antony Blinken, what he said during his Senate confirmation hearing is telling. He said that he agrees with Trump's approach to be tough on China. What he disagrees with is the way he went about it. So the real critical change you're going to see, Zane, under a Biden administration is multilateralism, a return to working with friends and allies to combat major global issues, including how to deal with a rising and more assertive China. The U.S.-China technology war likely won't end under a Biden presidency. Biden may take a more nuanced approach than Trump to diplomacy, but the tech rivalry will likely intensify. Concerns over how Chinese-made technology can be weaponized for surveillance and hacking. Plus allegations that Beijing steals American tech may persist. So will the battle for supremacy in 5G, quantum computing, artificial intelligence, biotechnology, and space. China is our most serious uh, global competitor, and this competition is going to be one of the central challenges of, uh, of this century. Trump set into motion the decoupling of the two economies, slapping tariffs on Chinese products, blacklisting top tech companies, banning popular Chinese apps. In his final weeks in office, Trump attempted to cement his tough-on-China legacy. He signed an executive order banning transactions with eight Chinese apps, including fintech giant Ant Group's Alipay and Tencent's WeChat Pay. He slapped restrictions on China's smartphone maker Xiaomi and a top chip maker, cutting them off from U.S. suppliers. He also barred investment in Chinese businesses with alleged military ties. Yet it's unclear if these orders will be implemented. His previous efforts to ban TikTok and WeChat have been halted by legal challenges in U.S. courts. Experts say Biden may reverse some of Trump's most recent actions against Chinese tech, but the key difference in Biden's approach will be his multilateral strategy and investments at home. Biden's campaign included a $300 billion investment in technologies like artificial intelligence, electric vehicles, and 5G. Gone are the days of Trump's unilateral brinkmanship. We may see a refined, modified approach to protecting America's uh, technology crown jewels, in particular, uh, greater expansion of coordination, collaboration uh, with our allies in Europe and Asia who face the same types of challenges with China in technology. Trump's attempts to cut off China's tech giants showed Beijing how vulnerable it is to the U.S. Regardless of Biden's approach, China is doubling down on its strategy to become a self-reliant technological power. It's clear that this tech cold war is here to stay, a costly battle for both sides of the Pacific. Now, Biden is inheriting this very messy relationship with China from the Trump administration, and many of Trump's tactics have not played out as he intended. For instance, China was set to buy hundreds of billions of dollars worth of U.S. products as part of this first part of the trade deal. But so far, China has only purchased about half 
of its target. That's according to the Peterson Institute. And when it comes to Trump's strategy and technology, ironically, it may have actually accelerated China's goals in developing its own homegrown high technology industries. China is now racing to develop its own chip makers, other core technology areas so it can reduce its reliance on America. In fact, China is planning to spend more than a trillion dollars in high technology areas in the coming years. So it is clear that regardless of America's approach, regardless of who is a sitting president, China is going to continue on its path of its own strategic priorities. Zing. Selena Wang, alive for us there. Thank you so much. Up next, GameStop won't start. Why shares the brick-and-mortar game retailer from the 80s have been on a dizzying rally. I'll explain next. Across Africa, many travelers rely on bus travel to get around, and now one app which compares prices and sells tickets is really taking off. In today's Connecting Africa, Lenny Jokos looks at the success story that is Ugabus. Every morning I wake up, I tell myself I have to offer that extra step. I have to put in place an extra infrastructure, an extra idea. So what pushes me every day is the need to make people's lives better. The idea for a more reliable and convenient way to book buses came to Ronald Hakiza after falling prey to fake ticket sellers as he travelled across East Africa. In total, I've been to 207 towns in East Africa. And throughout that whole process, I looked at how we struggled to buy tickets in those different towns. And I said to myself, really? In this era, something should change. So I love the fact that I'm offering a solution and so many people are using it. Yugabus launched in 2015 to enable travelers in East Africa to search, compare and book a bus ticket in under three minutes. Christine Kabazira lives and works in Uganda's capital Kampala and is one of 12,000 of the app's subscribers. I think it's the very first of its kind in Uganda and East Africa. So this was a very good initiative because, you know, the hassle that comes with booking buses, going to the bus and the crowds, especially now in the COVID times, the fact that you don't have to touch money. And when you confirm payment, they send you an SMS on your phone and they will just take you straight to your seat. A perk to the app is discounted tickets, often cheaper tickets than you can buy at the bus stations. But despite this, Link Bus Services, based in Kampala, credit Yugabus with providing up to 1,000 extra daily passengers since joining the app a year ago. We're building a bus ecosystem, something that brings together the entire bus online digitally, that when you look at the bus, right from luggage to passenger travel, to ticketing, to experiences, to everything should come online. Right now, passengers are able to book over 200 routes across five countries in East Africa, Uganda, South Sudan, Kenya, Rwanda and Tanzania, with Zambia being targeted next. Eleni Jokos for Connecting Africa in Kampala, Uganda. Shares in gaming retailer GameStop are higher again this session, continuing a wild ride, especially over the past few days for the stock. It's up almost 350% since the beginning of the year. 
Paul and Monica joins us live now. So, Paul, this is mainly due to uh, investors on Reddit, some of whom are obviously short sellers, others are day traders, having a back and forth debate. But just walk us through more detail about what's behind these wild, dramatic swings. Yeah, it's amazing, Zane. What's really happening is that the Reddit Wall Street's bets community is mainly positive on GameStop trying to push the stock higher. So there are several hedge funds and other big institutional investors that are betting against GameStop, shorting the stock. And what you're having is that they're getting squeezed out of their position because everyone on Reddit is saying, no, GameStop should be going higher. And they push the stock higher by buying shares. And we all know with short selling, if you don't cover your position because you've borrowed stock and have to return it, losses can be infinite. So these big investors have to get out of that position really fast. And that just pushes the stock higher because they're buying stock to cover their position. And obviously with GameStop, there's just such a massive gap between um, the fundamentals and the share price. But when you look at just the fundamentals alone, is there any real reason why people should actually be buying the stock? I mean, at these levels, maybe not because they've run up so dramatically in such a short period of time. But to be fair to GameStop, they have now Ryan Cohen, a uh, co-founder of Chewy, which is widely successful in e-commerce, now on the company's board because he had an activist stake in the firm. And they are trying to really move into the digital world because so many people are now buying these consoles and downloading games. So I think that trend, you know, the success of the new Xbox and the PS5 could help GameStop. So I don't think all is lost necessarily for the company, but this move is insane. And and just quickly, other examples of stocks that are like GameStop being lifted by this Reddit board. Yeah, definitely. You're seeing it with BlackBerry getting pushed a lot higher. Macy's, there's a mall owner named Mace Rich, Bed Bath & Beyond. These are all stocks that are heavily shorted but are getting squeezed higher. The fundamentals may not be great, but the day traders don't really care. All right, Paul and Monica, live for us there. Thank you so much. And before we leave you today, uh, Richard had a very <laughs> unexpected guest to deal with in the middle of an interview. Take a listen to this recognizing this is the case. Ah, and here we have a visitor. Go on, who have we got there? Say hello, come on. Let's, let's say hello to... There we go. Who, who's this, Axel? Yeah, he wants to go to bed. Well, wish him good time. evening uh, for us. What's, what's his name? Victor, but he can't hear you. I'm, uh, ah, I'm connected via my ah, AirPods. Right. <laughs> well, um, are you okay to continue? Oh no, Victor's Victor is determined that's okay. uh, that uh, we're going to to keep going. I'll, I'll let. Oh, <laughs> An- even adorable, even- Victor actually uh, obviously wanted his dad to put him to bed. There, um, that's his dad, the Trivago CEO, Axel Heffer. Clearly, it was time to call it quits, and the same, my friends, goes for me. That is it. That's it for the show. I'm Zane Asher. First move. We'll be back tomorrow. You're watching CNN. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 